Hi, you're listening to Talking About Organizations, a podcast about management and organization studies where we read and discuss foundational texts and key ideas that inform the way we think about organized work today. Talking About Organizations is a community resource supported by our listeners. To find out how and learn more about our program, visit our website at www.talkingaboutorganizations.com. We also thank the Management Learning Journal and the European Group for Organizational Studies for their wonderful support. Now on with the show. Welcome to Episode 67, the first of two planned episodes discussing the topics of professions and professionalism through Andrew Abbott's classic book from 1989, The System of Professions, an essay on the division of expert labor. This is part one, where we will focus on the framework for analyzing the professionalization process, nature of professional work, and how professions stake claims of jurisdiction. This is Tom calling from Carlisle, Pennsylvania in the United States. And this is Pedro coming to you from cloudy Copenhagen. And this is uh, Greta calling in from uh, Oxford, UK. And this is Catherine calling from Royal Leamington Spa. Welcome, everybody. Hi, Tom. So we have a, a very big book, <laughs> a very, very big book, so big that we're going to break it out into two episodes. And uh, this is not the first time we did this. Uh, a long time ago, and uh, Pedro was part of this episode, uh, we took uh, the Chester Bernard's The Functions of the Executive and broke it into two episodes. So we decided that uh, with this with this book, and uh, this was big enough where we could cover two episodes with it. So let me talk about it. This is called The System of Professions, an Essay on the Division of Expert Labor by Andrew Abbott. And uh, Andrew Abbott is a uh, former editor of the American Journal of Sociology for about 16 years, uh, left that position just a few years ago. And he has written extensively about work, occupations, and professions and professionalism. This book, which was published about 1989, is one of his uh, earliest major works, and it has been heavily cited and used over the years because it's uh, one of those one of those books that just covers so much ground, not just uh, about where the professions literature came from, but, uh, but basically to reinterpret it and to introduce a whole new paradigm of thinking about professions. And uh, so this episode, we're going to focus on the first half of the book, sort of, and it's going to be focused on the individual professions, how they're formed, what they are, what do we mean by profession and that sort of thing. And the, the, at a future time, the second episode is going to get into the interprofessional competition, which is a lot of what Andrew Abbott was introducing to the field. And we may delve a little bit into that in this episode, but the focus is really going to be on the individual profession. But I guess we better ask ourselves a question. What is a profession to us anyway? What, you know, what, how is it different from, say, any other occupation? So in the book, Abbott defines it as professions are organized bodies of experts who applied esoteric knowledge to particular cases. And I think that, you know, for the listeners out there, the idea here is professional is not just someone that's doing a good job, it's not a sense of ethic you have on your doing your work, but it's exactly about this particular um, group of people that possess a claim to a particular jurisdiction, which is a very important concept we're going to explore, which we can call like a, a type of problem, an area, a domain, a type of task 
Um, and they draw on a specific body of knowledge in order to make this claim that they are, you know, capable of answering and handling this kind of social issues, whatever it might be. Um, so I think that's an important distinction. And of course, as we will see, one of the things that are important for Abbott is that it's less important whether a group is a professional or just an occupation or not, because I think that's one of the things that he's trying to go beyond it's not just, you know, the story as told by the super powerful groups, think of law or medicine, but as a sense of um, professional work groups, um, which can or not have a very strong status and claim and so on and so forth. In addition, um, I mean, there's you touched on law and medicine, and there is sort of like a short list of occupations which we typically associate with professionalism, um, that uh, we expect something from law and medicine, you know, the law, lawyers and doctors to do something special for society, etc. But Abbott doesn't confine himself to that, and a lot of the original professions literature don't confine themselves to that either. It's just basically focused on the application of expert knowledge and the use of or the um, employment of expert labor. Uh, which which means that it could be just about anything as long as it's defined a certain way. Absolutely, and and a profession is something where where you know they've been they've been successful in making that claim on that jurisdiction, and deal successfully with the um, you know incumbents upon that. Uh, in a way, I just I just thought the the title of the book really could have been uh, the enduring system of professions, because that's what happens with professions over a long period of time, as he illustrates in the book. So in a way, the idea of what is a profession or not is an outcome of the question. It's exactly the outcome of how these groups are when they are able to be successful. Then they become identified. They don't know you know how mark professions type, but I think the interest is exactly in this dynamic of. Um, group of workers working knowledge, applying knowledge to a specific problem. I was also thinking about uh, what, what, what Abbott says in, in the, at the end of the introduction to talk about the knowledge uh, systems of professions and the way they can rely on abstract knowledge. And in a way, as the profession evolves, it might be that there are several occupations associated with a profession, is my reading. And they all are seen as, for instance, when you think about accountancy or medicine or law, there, there are all these different occupations within that profession, but overall we see it as a profession. Am I understanding that correctly? Yes, indeed. And uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, the, the system of professions kind of refers to how those types of uh, new professions can emerge um, and compete. And uh, accountancy was a good example of that because uh, we don't, I mean, we do think of that nowadays as profession uh, because it's something that we've come to rely on, but it formed from splitting off of two other professions. Um, I forget which two they were. I think it was lawyers and, and financiers, something like that, where it basically says, okay, in order to satisfy a particular need of which knowledge from these two professions uh, you know, would be applied, you get people together and they create this profession in order to provide such a service. And uh, this this kind of gets into, I think, a very important part of uh, the introduction where he talks about, uh, Abbott talks about 
the, the literature that came to fore about how professions were formed. And he showed several examples of, uh, you know, of, of key literature showing different ways in which the professions formed. So maybe we should talk about um, to whom was and is Abbott writing to, you know, so as we understand, because as we are hinting at, he's pushing our understanding of profession um, to a different realm, which is a more ecological one, which is not a single one, but looking at the relations, one that's less interested as profession, yes or no, but more about the process through which these different groups make a claim. You know, so he's bringing all these elements. So from what he tells us um, in the first pages, in a great um, outline of what came before him, so to speak, he talks about that a lot of the literature was very much concerned on the idea of professionalization, in this idea that there was a career through which specific groups became or not um, a proper quote-unquote profession. And looking at what are the specific features, what are specific um, steps that they go through, um, trying to understand whether they're common or not, and um, comparing across cases and establishing type of typologies of what are these elements, where different professions fit on this kind of panorama. And he's trying to go beyond that, and I think in important ways. Um, first, one of his core claims is that we need to understand the professions in a more interdependent type of way because in what it's common to these professions is that not just that we have people and expertise, but they are trying to make a claim on a specific jurisdiction. So a, a social type of problem, which can be attending to the sick, handling taxes, you know, whatever kind of um, social challenges that life, um, in social life impinges on us. And this type of problem, so to speak, um, and of course, sometimes they emerge and fall depending on changes of knowledge in society. But the point is that the professions are making a claim into them. And therefore, we need to understand how the different groups are making these claims and making these moves in relation to each other. So that's why the system of professions, that's the first thing. There's something very important in his theorizing, which is trying to go beyond um, these more disembedded type of stories and these more, these more structural attempts to understand what are the specific features that make the professionalization process and understanding more concretely what is the work that the professions do and what is the work that they attempt to do and the claims they make on the consequences of their work. You know, so there is first, as we said, a more ecological idea and second, an attention to the work that is being done. So a way for the more disembedded ahistorical ideas and more about the concreteness of the doing of the work. And I think these are two very central tenets and so much that they have very much changed the way we study and in some extent think about professions, which is this attention to the interdependencies and to the work being done and how there is a kind of um, dynamic processual um, story to it. Yeah, and it was difficult to, you know, in the absence of looking at the interdependence, and he shows that different scholars had written completely different stories about how professions form. And you would think that, you know, reading those different stories alone 
you would have a difficult time uh, thinking about uh, that. Well, is there some sort of an under a general understanding? Is there a general theory? Um, so you know, just to give an example, and these are all from you know around pages uh, ten through twelve. So you have the the Walensky story, which is uh, basically. It begins with a recognition that there's a task that needs to be done, and then people go after the task. Eventually, um, training, schools, those sorts of things follow as the task becomes higher demand. And then you have the Kaplow story, which is you start with the professional association, which almost sounds kind of like a bunch of rich men sitting around the table saying, Let's uh, let's uh, shut out all the riffraff and uh, and we'll form a professional association and and then they uh, you know so they it's sort of like monopolistic uh, top down and then you have the Millerson which is uh, well it begins with a technology or it begins with some sort of a commercial pressure and so then you know in order to leverage this technology we form you know, we develop expertise of those who can use it. And then that gets shared, and and it's almost like like if I was to take institution theory and look at the three pillars of it, it's almost like each of these stories is following a different pillar. Of you know, you start with the formal, move to the informal, or you start with the normative and move to the formal, things of that nature. And then, so then, in order for that all to make sense and to say, well, this is all actually three facets of the same thing, this is where Abbott comes in with his own description later, uh, uh, beginning with an evolution towards occupational control, structures form with it, and there's legitimization. I mean, ultimately, one of the things that's uh, really central to this too is this idea that this isn't just about the profession saying that here we are, we're the experts, this is our knowledge. That's got, there's a legitimacy that has to be conferred and that's not necessarily from within the profession. And there's key audiences for that as well that legitimize it or not and eventually lead to a settlement, which I think is, is the next chapter on from that. I think it's interesting as well, the introduction where he very clearly says as well, uh, which draws a distinction with which what what with what went before um, is very much that his focus is going to be on the work itself. And, um, you know, that's really important to us that rather than the structure, it's the work. And I think he was probably the first to do that. And, um, you know, the case studies, which I'm sure we'll go into in a bit more detail, are a great way of telling that story. So I think on the page 14 of the introduction, um, Abbott very nicely um, lays bare like the assumptions and uh, this this kind of ties back to the question where Peter started off like for whom did Abbott write this book and you know it's published by uh, Chicago Chicago Press uh, well known for sociological publications and um, yeah here in page 14 like going back to professionalization and seeing professionalization as the organizing that people in particular work groups do to make them clear entity, entity from the outside. Maybe we could see it as that. And, the, you know, the links in professionalization, like um, like one of the examples Tom gave was, was clearly evolutionary. The other was very functional. And that's what he lays out here. Like these links are usually drawn from a limited set of basic models for why things occur in society. And these are not only ba these are basic sociological models at that time, and at that time, you know, the book is written in nineteen eighty eight, or it's published. You know, I think it took. I think he wrote in the preface. It took over a decade to write, 
but um, functional, historicist, evolutionary Anselm. Underlying these links, so the steps in professionalization, is often a single simplifying assumption about why events occur, such as the self-interest model. So th this is, I think, what he did very nicely in this, in this review of largely sociological literature on professions that I personally was very unaware of and uh, have never encountered, so I enjoyed reading it. And then, to me, as the book is, is published in the 80s, it's also not surprising that he comes up with a systems perspective, as that gained dominance in the broader social sciences at that time, also in organization and management studies. But I think what is, I mean, I'm a bit rusty on the whole um, system paradigms, but I think what's interesting here, and it's almost like a tacit assumption, is that he says, I mean, conflict is the engine that moves everything. So it's beyond just the individual. And he says very much that. He wants to tell the story away from the professional and about the jurisdiction and the fights on that territory. Um, so it is attention that's, social life is defined by this perpetual um, um, dynamics through which people interrelate in conflictual, cooperative, political, all types of um, doings and undoings um, through which, you know, um, yeah, the perpetual engine <laughs> of society moves, um, which I think that's very particular and is very important. I think in some later papers, actually, he directly refers to it as turf wars, um, which is quite a colloquial term to use. But that's exactly how he sees the system of professions, this kind of bloodbath for jurisdictions and this constant competition and battle to the death uh, to win. Um, just to go back a bit to the question about who did he write uh, the book for, if I, if I could say, I think he's also actually written it for practitioners and they may well not have been the audience um, because to me this read like a how-to book to start a profession, to build a profession, to you know win the bloodbath of jurisdiction and to confirm that it is yours and to have an, create your enduring system of professions and particularly the bit that really appealed to me which we'll get to later is chapter three in the claim of jurisdictions. You know, I just I got very overexcited watching it. I could reading it. I got I I could completely visualize a completely different cover to this. I could see it in an airport. This is how to uh, build um, a profession from scratch. How to win your territory. How to claim your territory. How to claim the jurisdiction. How to endure as a profession. It really is also I think a how to book, but needs a complete overhaul visually. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, for if you're going to hand this in uh, some practitioner's uh, hands, uh, the you know, with it being this thick, I mean, it's a huge such. It is a huge book. I don't, I don't know that uh, too many would wade through. We'd have to, we'd have to come up with like a seventy-five page condensed version or some. Absolutely, but you know, the dummy's guide to professions <laughs> is calling out for it. Yeah. One other thing about the conflict, though, and, it, and and this, I think, you know, because he was writing this for the purposes of trying to stake out the whole business of interprofessional conflict, what he all what he alludes to, too, is the conflict between the profession and the consumer. He, he doesn't get into that. It wasn't the focus, but I'm sure, you know, other his later later works, I'm sure, got into this a bit. 
But it's also that that sense of tension is some of the things that uh, we get into now. Um, he, he actually used the term laitization, and I forget where that word was in the book. But but you know, there's so it isn't just a matter of that. In the course of professionalism, we're thinking about what the prof- what a group of people do to establish this jurisdictional claim. But other claimants say, you know, like um, the the people who are using the knowledge who are not within this group, um, such as, let's say, how we are, we sometimes diagnose ourselves when we have a medical ailment. You know, we don't go to a doctor every time. So that sort of, that sort of conflict also comes into play because this is where some of that exclusionary business comes in that was really prominent in the old profession literature where you say, hey, this is the doctor's domain. You know, and, uh, and we talk about how, you know, if uh, a doctor who diagnoses himself as a fool for a patient and things like that, that whole, jur- you know, that's aspect of the jurisdiction and the boundary between the professional and the consumer is, is also, it, that's become more important since the book was written. To, to say a bit more about, um, you know, Abbott's view as he specifies it in, in the introduction. So what I really liked about his approach compared to the older one is that change in a profession can come from both the outside and the inside. And especially what I like about it is how he emphasizes the nature of the work and how whereas others kind of try to come to uh, a general theory of professionalization. He says you have to look at the nature of the work and how through organizations or technologies that work can change or it can suddenly, people in different areas, in different occupations might be doing it, and then they come together. Um, so th- that's why the change can come from both the inside and the outside. That's what I really uh, enjoyed about his view. On a similar thread, I feel that you know he's pushing the literature to, towards more the concrete things, but at the same time, he's trying to recognize and go you know, that's one of his efforts, go beyond the symbolic interactionist previous studies, which has been very valuable, but to try to understand what is the interrelations across professions and also the external forces that he uses, but not just as this kind of direct relationships, you know, changes in society or whatever it is impacting the profession, but, and that was, is the interesting twist is that he puts the jurisdiction as the unit of analysis and he uses this metaphor of a vacancy model you know so there's spaces that someone wants to move in but then has to someone has to move out and that creates all these kind of ripple effects and discussions of you know who can move in where and what is the sequence and who is pushing who out and in using that model he brings the attention to the more um larger processes taking place not in a direct relationship a new technology comes about a new fashion comes about um, a change in demographic comes about in a one-to-one change but in change the conditions in which these opportunities arise or fall um, on how a new space emerge or not on you know or the space that exists becomes bigger or smaller so I think there is also a, a very refined way in bringing both the work and also connecting with the larger, so to speak, um, dynamics that are happening. 
Yeah, I would also say that uh, he was he was thinking ahead about how you know not just saying about how technological change influences this this uh, competition, but also thinking ahead about the possibilities of technology in the future. So uh, you know at the t- at that particular time, artificial intelligence, and this was when I was in the artificial intelligence field, right around that same time. Um, was uh, was was taking off. Now at the time, it oddly enough, I was an expert systems designer, and that was precisely what he was talking about. So when he started talking about the pieces about uh, professional work, you know, there's this risk of technology routinizing professional work to the point where do we really need the experts to this to the same extent? That was an ongoing debate in the late 80s and early 1990s. You know, what, what is machine learning going to do to expert labor? What is technology going to do to the need for professionals? Are we going to wind up with robots doing all of the same type of work? And that, that, that's, it's, it's just funny for me to go back and now read this, read these uh, texts that were written around that time that, uh, uh, you know, just remembering those debates. Maybe we should explore a bit more this because I think that's one of the threads that I see um, across the book and are still speaking to us today. It's exactly this delicate balance in which if professionals rely so much on this body of knowledge, expertise that they bring, and there's something about, and he talks about that, on how much that needs to be at the same time credible. So there must be, I mean, there must be some efficacy in some extent, or at least no wrongdoing in the work that is being carried out. But also in a certain way, it has to be relatable to some extent by people, to the clients of the professions. And that is the whole point. The professional uses this esotericism of the knowledge that um, they bring in order to make a claim that their work is unique, cannot be fully routinized, and so on and so forth. And I think that became, if anything, even more of a side of discussions. It was already in discussions on the 90s and early 20s about knowledge management systems and what can be, you know, um, codified or not. And there is a lot of discussion exactly on that, on professional groups losing some of their autonomy, you know, discussions about lawyers and doctors on how you bring this type of databases or heuristics um, to aid decision-making, that is an erosion, a potential erosion of the expert autonomy. But with the new technologies, all this has been, if anything, skyrocket, right? And I think, uh, I, I agree, Pedro, and I think that in, in Chapter 2 on professional work, Abbott kind of gives a vocabulary or a framework to think about it. And uh, maybe this also speaks to to the point that you raised, Tom, to think about, you know, like the conversation on AI is still ongoing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we expect the automatic cars to arrive any moment from now. And that any moment is like next year, next year, next year. But here he, 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 he makes this distinction between uh, objective and subjective parts of, uh, of work. And then he has this threefold model of diagnosis, treatment, and inference. Um, as kind of different aspects or different tasks of professions. And in the chapter, he kind of lays out, like, you know, how is that in medicine? How is that in law and in other professions? And then he also emphasizes, like, what is the role of academic knowledge in in a profession? So I'd love to hear your takes on this framework. 
thinking about, you know, can can we also think about this in a way, like to what extent do we think that self-learning machines can, can do this? Um, can they do this diagnosis treatments? Like to what extent is it already here? Where do we see still the human in the loop? I clearly see it. But it also made me think about our own profession uh, <laughs> as academics in organization and management, where we kind of see that, you know, part of the work, diagnosis and treatments has been outsourced to consultants in a way, but they don't always rely on the most up-to-date academic knowledge uh, of our field that our field produces. So a kind of a disconnect that emerged there, which I find pretty striking when you think, for instance, about medicine or law where that would never happen. Right. And, uh, and this is where Abbott really does make that big distinction about what's the most important for professionalization. So the diagnosis and the treatment, and, and really those two, um, perhaps if you've, uh, if you've got the right information and there's a, a, enough knowledge about how to do those, you probably could automate it. But the inference is the big thing. And that's that's the part that uh, the human in the loop, the intellect, the, the, the application of the expert knowledge, that's what Abbott presents as the most important piece. And so this is where, you know, what we can imagine this uh, scenario of the old days when you went to the doctor's office and uh, you, the doctor saw you, the doctor analyzes your symptoms and decides, okay, two aspirin and call me in the morning. Um, and, and, and notice I said aspirin, not acetaminophen. Those were the days. So, uh, and then nowadays, if we're thinking about, say, um, because of the pandemic, a lot of us are doing virtual with, with a doctor. And, uh, so, you know, the doctor may not see the symptoms the way that you do or what have you, but still ultimately what really separates the doctor from just your mother or, you know, some other individual trying to trying to fix you is that sense of inference that's that looks at what your symptoms are and is able to connect all the dots and come out with a diagnosis and therefore what the treatment is and that's the part that uh, when you know I, I think th this kind of gets into the conflict between the professions and society because there's obviously with legitimacy comes a lot of trust and if if I, as a representative member of society, don't trust the medical profession to do that inference step, say I might as well turn to a internet source, look up the diagnosis and treatment myself, and I'll and, and have a nice day and save myself the money. But uh, that inference is really, really what separates professional work from non-professional work. And as somebody who, who works as, as a consultant, as, as part of my job, I, I completely get, it, you know, the challenge that inference brings. And he talks uh, in the book as well about how it presents a great deal of vulnerability on your claim of jurisdiction. Um, and there's an element of trust involved in being a consultant. And I think an element that doesn't help our case sometimes is, you know, are we professionals? And certainly the very, very niche element of consultancy that I work in, there's even more ambiguity um, about that, I think. And inference really, I think, is, um, a, I think it describes as the uncertain space between diagnosis and treatment where tacit knowledge resides. And if you are in a profession where, you know, it hasn't been backed up um, by, um, you know, a long standing uh, and successful claim of jurisdiction, 
um, without the academic work to, to back it up, to legitimise it, you are in a very vulnerable position. And I think uh, later in another element of the book, he talks about uh, conflict, challenge and, and conflict and how particularly in advisory roles, it really is a, a weak element of your claim on jurisdiction as well, just going back to that. But that is a very interesting part of it. And, uh, you know, un- undoubtedly, undoubtedly, the academic work to back it up is really important. I know in my own profession, there is a huge move towards setting up centres to study fundraising and the third sector and what we do. And that's happened over a number of years, but it's still very much in its early days. And again, it's that bid for the claim on, on jurisdiction, I think. Um, and an important um, sentence, I think, in page 112 is, as societies have little time for experts who lack cultural legitimacy, irrespective of their success rates. So it does show how vulnerable you are. So even if you've won over the audience of the public arena in, in your jurisdiction, or indeed the legal one or the workplace one, without that academic work to back you up, I think you're on rocky ground with your claim of jurisdiction. I don't be the one to say it, but I think we should talk about this whole audience settlements. Um, yeah, cause... the jurisdictional claims. Yeah, 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 because yeah. it's a good segue. Yeah, go for it. I had some one thing about them, but on page 53, Abbott says something really funny about academic knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> that in academia, professional knowledge exists in a peculiarly disassembled state that prevents its use. <laughs> <laughs> Because we, as academics, we're not interested in in the application of the knowledge. We're interested in the development and assessing where new knowledge is needed. And it's it's like the other people in the in the profession that apply it that have to make the translation. But you know, I think it's a real, you know, somebody who's kind of coming to academia a bit later on in my life. Uh, you know, with the practitioner side, I, I just want to reach over the divide and say, pull me in because <laughs> I don't want to stay forever on this side. But if I could have a leg in both camps and provide the bridge between the two, then I, I think it's something that's really missing and, and is lost. So, Well, this uh, this actually gets into an important part about how within a profession, the work can be divided because indeed this was, you know, that, that's a very, very good point about the fact that uh, Abbott's trying to address this issue of expert knowledge versus uh, expert academic knowledge versus practical knowledge, which actually becomes quite a theme in the systems part of the book later. Um, but uh, there's one of the things that I was really struck at was the extent to which he showed how within a general domain of expert knowledge, and uh, the one he liked to use was the personal problems jurisdiction, where you had you had professional work that was associated with academic knowledge that was basically high-end psychology or psychiatry, psychoanalysis. And then you had a middle tier, which was a whole different group of people, a whole different audience. And I think this gets into what we wanted to get into with the audiences and the settlements. And then you had the lower, um, and, and I'm using Abbott's words, the lower level professions of social work whose audiences were lower class. And so even though you can have professions who are um, doing, essentially applying the same expert knowledge, they're doing so to different audiences and wind up defining their boundaries um, very, very distinctly by class, by, you know, however it is that they're interfacing. 
And it also kind of follows that same tearing between high-level academic knowledge versus practical knowledge that's used in, in the lower professions and how the, the different tiers don't necessarily interact very well. So this is a good natural segue to the other chapter, um, the one on um, the claim of jurisdictions, because exactly as you were saying, if the, f the chapter before, as Greta said, gives a vocabulary to think about the professional work that can be used still today to think about what aspects and modes of action can be automatized or not, and how can you think about these changes? I think the other one gives us a kind of um, strategic panorama to look at on the different dimensions through which the battle of jurisdictions is fought, right? Which is what the audiences that are brought in, so what is the arenas, is can be a public arena, it can be a more towards the state. And there's an interesting thing here that I'll just note that ABBA tries to bring... Um, ideas beyond just the West, especially continental Europe, in order to showcase on how having a more stringent regulatory or state-based um, system changes the way the battle plays out, um, as compared to the West that has a more market-driven type of situation, right? Um, he also looks at the different type of settlements. So how are the possible arrangements that the different professions can strike, which can be one of domination of one over the other, it can be a more something related to the role that one has related to a part of the work, therefore taking a more advisory, or it can be a division of work, or a division of population, so to speak, as Tom was just saying, that they both do the same type of work, but to different um, type of um, demographics of the society. So all these different ways, um, to go back to what Catherine was saying, you know, it's very much a manual of the different types of um, elements in the fight, what kind of dimensions matter, and how different factors play a role in this dynamic. I have to confess, I absolutely loved this chapter. Um, I've, I've done lots of uh, highlighter marker all over my pages here because I loved it so much. I just was a bit surprised that he, I felt he absolutely captured that hot mess and complexity of the workplace um, that, that you don't necessarily see addressed um, in, in academic texts or even in books like this. And, and this is a seminal work. I think he does it really well. I think he describes it as the fuzzy reality. And I, I love the way that he's divided the arenas for claiming jurisdiction, the legal, um, which is essential public opinion. Uh, and, you know, he particularly says that in America, the public helps establish the power that achieves legal protection and the workplace itself. And an interesting problem for any profession is reconciling its workplace position with its public. And um, I just think that, you know, the the reality of, of what goes on behind the scenes versus what's presented uh, in the arena uh, when you are claiming jurisdiction is very interesting, which I, I'm slightly diverting a little bit on. But I think he also, in this chapter, has a very interesting point to make about marketing and advertising and uh, in the way and how important it is. And I loved it myself in reinforcing your claim of jurisdiction. At that, you know, active maintenance of the public juris jurisdiction is advised, he says on page 67. And also, I think there is an element of this, again, for practitioners about legitimating the link to the romanticized past that companies have sometimes in terms of their marketing but that came on um, jurisdiction. Um, sorry, I'm wandering a bit because I'm a little bit overexcited. <laughs> Take that out. 
Um, I loved it. But uh, the claim as well, what, what does the claim itself involve? It is the, the right to perform the work. It's the right to exclude other workers. It's the right to dominate public definitions of the tasks concerned. It's the right to impose professional de definitions uh, of the tasks and competing professions. So public jurisdiction then essentially is a claim of both social and cultural authority. And really it is that exclusivity that really solidifies your position and your claim on the jurisdiction of the profession. And, and I love that chapter. I loved how he, he broke it down. Yeah, and uh, in reading that uh, that part of the book, I also remembered uh, a previous episode we did on organizational identity and identity claims, and boy, they sounded almost the same. I mean, and that article that we did with Albert and Wetton had come out at about the same time. Um, and I bring that up because I mean, this is this isn't just about the um, the the competition between the profession and other professions, but also professional organizations competing with each other. Because uh, you know, my favorite, uh, you, you look at either medical or uh, uh, pharmaceutical, actually, commercials on television, and you can see how th they play out in a very public arena where pharmaceutical companies are staking their claims of jurisdiction over a particular cure. Or lawyers are doing the same thing as different law firms are staking their particular claims about um, which type of cases that they will take. And, uh, and it's, uh, you know, some of them, they're very, very overt, others a little bit more covert, but it's still, it's, it's out there. So the professional organizations themselves are, they're playing on the same competition with each, in, in each other to establish, uh, maintain autonomy and to establish their um, client base. I was going to push us to the next chapter and say that I think that these, as we unpack a bit the claims, we start to see what goes inside them. You know, so if, so, as I read the book very much, you know, in the first chapters, it's trying to give a picture of what is the professional work like and what is the building blocks and then where, what is the map in which this um, jurisdictional flights play out and in the other one he tried to examine the weapons which abstraction being the most clear one and his idea that for a profession to endure it has to have this body of knowledge that is related to a certain level of abstraction besides just the work being done and on how that abstract body of knowledge is justified and connected to specific problems and what are the rhetorics that are used to maintain that but also to try to push people out and also the different ways within a profession or across professions different groups make on how their specific treatment has an advantage or how by diagnosing a different way and bring a different understanding to the same problem it can advance cure more resolve more issues be more efficient and so on so i think there's a third part of the of this um i mean we can call again the vocabulary as greta was saying or framework that allows us to understand this very intricate um, series of dynamics. So I think that's a that's an excellent point, Pedro. And, uh, it, and this is a good uh, jumping off point for us to take a look at the case study that we're going to look at in part two on the uh, Abbott's review of the information professions. And that concludes the episode for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the conversation and found it valuable. If so, please consider subscribing through your favorite podcast service and you won't miss an episode. 
We also welcome your feedback, so if you liked or didn't like something, or have a correction or suggestion for us, please get in touch via Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website, www.talkingaboutorganizations.com. Finally, we would like to thank some wonderful people for supporting the show. Sarah Audner, Leon Prieto, Hadi Shaheen, Marshall Reiner, Alice Barbosa, Thomas Roulet, Heiko Schmidt, Barton Friedland, Guldem Kara Mustafa, Roberto Bernardi, Bernard Hogan, Eddie Hunsinger, Peaks Craft, Timothy Paul, Vili Ledon Virta, Gabriel Van Bunnen, and Clara Lumps. It's easy to support the show, and all you have to do is go to our website where a donations button will greet you. Thank you for listening, and we hope to see you for the conclusion of this episode here on Talking About Organizations. 